Hello and welcome along to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Emmett Knight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And today on the show, we are talking about should I pay off my student loan early? And this comes from a list of the show who says, hey guys, love the podcast. Wondering if you can do a podcast on paying off your student loan in a lump sum payment in order to increase my uncommitted monthly income, my UMI right now, or should I just pay it off you know, in automatic payments from my salary as I naturally do now. So here's my situation. My current student loan takes approximately $1,000 a month automatically off my pay packet. It's currently about 35k and I've almost got 30k built up in a revolving credit. And he's planning to use this in order to purchase an investment property. But part of him is still thinking, well, what if I just pay off my student loan now, unlock that extra $1,000 a month and increase my UMI, my uncommitted monthly income. So what's better, higher UMI or higher equity? Now we're going to get pretty nerdy in this one because it's a bit of a complex question and we've got to talk about when you would and when you wouldn't pay off your student loan. But let's start with that last question first, Andrew. What's better, higher equity or higher income? Well, uh, to be fair, they're both very important because if you don't have enough equity or income, you're not getting the loan, generally speaking, unless you go to a tricky lender, like a non-bank lender or something like that. But probably the income is the most important, if I were to put that out there, because if you can't service the loan, you don't have a chance of getting it because banks are always wanting you to pay your loan back rather than have the security because the security is only useful when they sell you up. So they want you to be able to service the loan that's probably the most important. And, you know, again, if you've got a low equity side of things, you could maybe go to a non-bank lender if you've got really strong income. So there are options outside of the norm when it comes to that, or you could wait a little bit longer and get a higher valuation. That's a lot easier to get, you know, an extra $50,000 worth of value uplift than it is to get an extra $50,000 a year in income. But you still have to pass both tests. So the traditional advice is to pay your student loan off as slowly as possible. And why is that? Well, they're interest-free, generally speaking. And so it's about the value of money and inflation will, of course, reduce that over time. So if you pay that off in, in small installments, then that's great. But of course, you're in an instance here where it's seriously going to impact your UMI, especially because as your income grows, it takes more of your income because it's 12% of your pre-tax income above $20,000 roughly goes towards student loan payments. So again, as your income goes up, a big a chunk of your income gets used for the servicing of that debt. So if you've got really good equity, but poor UMI, then one strategy is just to pay off the student loan early so you can start investing. But it doesn't always make sense to do that. So it's just one strategy. And because we can't give personalized financial advice on the show, that's just something to consider. Now, not to be creepy, but I just want to kind of tease out this guy's situation for everybody listening to the show so that we're able to get a sense of it. So $1,000 a month, that probably means he's earning something like 120 k per year. So really, really good income. And it sounds like he's pretty good at saving as well because he's been paying down some of this debt, being putting a lot of money into that revolving credit and saved up 30 k So I'm assuming he's paying down debt pretty aggressively. Now, what I've done is I've run the numbers based on our usual servicing calculations, you know, 5.8% test rate, 75% scaling of rental income, those kinds of things, and a 4% rental yield. So what could $1,000 a month in UMI get this person in terms of increased ability to service debt for a rental property? And the answer is about 300 k And so if we put into this context, we say, okay, if you pay that student loan off early, you're probably getting an extra 300 k ish in terms of 
being able to go and borrow more money. So how do we answer this question? How do we figure out whether this person should be able to pay off their student loan, whether they should do that or whether they should just do it you know, slowly over time, Andrew? Well, firstly, I think the best thing is you go to a mortgage broker and you need to ask them, what's your limitation when it comes to borrowing from an equity and an income perspective? Because if they come back to you and they say, okay, well, from a deposit side of things, you can borrow 600K based on your current equity and you can service 900K worth of lending based on servicing with new rental income. Then 600K is your current limit and you wouldn't pay down the student loan early because the servicing isn't going to put you in a better position because you're limited by that deposit side of things. And using a revolving credit to pay off your student loan is going to put you into an even worse position because it's going to erode the amount of money that you've got from a deposit side of things. If on the other hand, they say, hey, look, from a deposit side of things, you can borrow 900k, but from a servicing aspect, you can borrow 600k, then you'd probably set up the revolving credit and pay this down because your limit is servicing and paying off your student loan gets you up to about 900k. But it will diminish your deposit, yes. So that will take 30k off of that deposit side of things, which is 150k worth of purchasing power if you're buying a new build. So that takes you down to 750 maximum borrowing. So your equity is your new constraint, but you've increased what you can buy by 150. So I think the key message here as well is that there are some instances where it would totally make sense to pay off that student loan using your revolving credit. There are other instances where it doesn't make sense. And it's all based on if I do that, will it actually increase my borrowing? Now, the other thing that I've thought about is, you know, when would it make sense, when wouldn't, is I would also base it on what are you buying and when do you have to pay your deposit? So let's say that you're buying a new build that's got a really long construction time frame. And I'm going to talk about two years here. So what you'd usually do here is you'd get your deposit approved from the bank, say a 20% since it is a new build, and you'd sort the rest out later at settlement because you've got a really long construction time frame. So you'd set up your 20% deposit straight away. You'd sort out the other 80% later on down during settlement. Now, your usual strategy is to set up that revolving credit of 20% of the purchase price and you'd pay 10% of that to the developer. But here's the thing, the bank is only going to approve that revolving credit if you go and say to them, hey, I want to go purchase this investment property. They're only going to approve that revolving credit if you can afford to service the mortgage for the property today. So what I mean by that is even if your deposit is worse than your servicing, there may be an argument to pay off the student loan now, improve your servicing, and then what you can do is get that revolving credit set up, use it to pay your deposit, and then over the next two years, you've got the ability to save up the extra money for the deposit side because you pay your 10% straight away and then you can save up the extra bit that you're going to need in order to be able to get the deposit over the line. So there's the first case which Andrew talked about, which is to say, well, is it going to improve my ability to borrow or not overall in terms of what I can purchase? The second thing is, especially if you're going to be going down the new build track, is can I get my deposit approved today? And how long is the construction period? Because you might need to improve your servicing, even if that's not the major thing that's holding you back, because you'd then have the ability to save up a bit more money for your deposit. But your bank's going to look at your servicing today and you know what your deposit's going to be in two years' time, potentially. Now, if it's existing, it's not so hard because the settlement is 
kind of more immediate and you need both your servicing and your deposit to be ready right now. So this is more for the new build side. And I realize that this is a bit convoluted, but this is the sort of thing that an expert broker should be able to talk you through these are the sorts of things they should be thinking about in order to be able to answer that question should I pay off the student loan or should I not pay off the student loan given that my goal is to purchase more and I guess one thing that people should think about Andrew is like why is this becoming more and more important to think things through this technically well the major changes that the CCCFA changes credit contracts consumer finance act comes in from the 1st of December and this formalizes what's been basically being used by banks but not to the same extent it's not legislated like it is going to be from the 1st of December and so this is where bank servicing calculations are going to be way more stringent so they're going to be taking a real deep dive into your expenses and looking at what's this person actually spending on a week month year on everything. So eating out, Netflix subscriptions, everything they're going to look at. So it's one of those things where you want to make sure that you have as much of a servicing buffer as possible. And I guess let's come back to your question. Should I pay off the student loan early? Look, it depends on a, a whole heap of things. But if you can, talk to a good mortgage <laughs> broker and prompt them. Prompt them to run this sort of analysis for you. You know, And ask them to explain it to you. Because look, there are some excellent brokers who will go into this level of detail. There are some brokers who will not go into the level of detail to figure out, you know, is there a way to get you more lending? So I think definitely ask these sorts of questions of your broker. Should I pay off that student loan early so that I'm able to borrow more? Or is it going to harm my ability to lend? And if you can kind of have these things in here, maybe you don't need to be able to run the calculations yourself, but as long as you can ask the right questions, that's going to really benefit you. Do we have a recommendation of one, Ed? Oh, Andrew, people don't need us to plug our own <laughs> mortgage company, Catalyst Fine. Financial, again. But uh, <laughs> if you if you wanted to use a mortgage broker, then Catalyst Financial is not a bad one to consider using. But what I would say is if you want to learn more about... We didn't plan that, by the way. If you want to learn more about the... Wait, that's what you told me to ask, Ed. Andrew... If you want to learn more about the CCFA and debt-to-income ratios and some of those things that are holding people back from borrowing and potentially some ways to still grow your portfolio over time, come along to our next webinar. It is going to be happening on this Tuesday, 16th November, 7pm. They're always a ball of a time and we're going to have a good old time talking about bank lending tests. It's on at 7pm and the way you register for that is absolutely free. Tap or swipe over the cover-up. There'll be a link in there. Or... Just go to opuspartners.co.nz and you'll be able to register. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, texts and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.